Hello, this is Gary Van Warmerdam with the Awareness and Consciousness podcast from PathwayToHappiness.com where we try and make sense of what goes on inside of us often at an unconscious level and bring it into a, a conscious level of awareness so we can change those sabotaging behaviors, emotional reactions, negative thoughts and be happier. This podcast is about self-loathing, self-hatred, somewhat related to self-judgment. And I go deeper into an example on this audio, a story I had with a client, really a a deep self-hatred, and it arose out of something very innocent, something very, actually, a beautiful intent, but long forgotten about and over the years grew into something completely different. Developed into a lot of self-hatred, self-judgment, feeling not good enough. And so not all of these kinds of negative thoughts, beliefs, self-judgment come from anything traumatic. But sometimes they just arise and we forget where they came from. So this is an exploration of that, as well as because it was from an event I did in Zion National Park, brings in a lot of what happens when we try to explore this, the resistance we get in finding it, the resistance we get in trying to change it, and what to look for in that regard. One of the things I want to point out, I use the term characters, and that refers to how I break down what goes on internally within us, having to do with parts of our personality, parts of our emotional reactions, the thoughts in our heads, how we might express ourselves, differently at different times. Sometimes we get angry. That's a certain voice we use. Uh, If we're sad, that's a certain expression we use, a different voice. Where we withdraw, where we pretend, we have it all together. These are different aspects of our personality I sometimes refer to as characters. You could say it's a character of your ego. You could say it's a character, an aspect of your belief system also. And so I just wanted to give you that reference before we head into the audio. If you have more interest in checking out this process on your own and how to explore these unconscious beliefs and change those negative thoughts and behaviors and reactions, you can find a way to do that. I lay it out in my self-mastery course online at pathwaytohappiness.com. The first few sessions are free, so you can check out and see if it makes sense and works for you. And if you prefer, I also have a book, MindWorks, where I lay out that process as well. So this podcast is about self-loathing, self-judgment, where it might have originated from, and exploring those unconscious beliefs so that we can change what goes on inside us and be happy in our life. Hope you find this helpful. There's a point of view that Everything's alive. The wind is alive. The rocks are alive. You see the grass, it's alive. You can watch it move. But the rocks are moving just at a different speed. The tree is moving in the wind. The leaves move in the wind. But the base of the tree is moving very slowly. You won't watch it and see it move, but it's alive. You look at a cellular level, you see the motion. 
the way the biologists, the biology of life, say, oh, it's organic, it's carbon-based, has a certain definition of what life is. But if we pull back further, electrons have a spin. Every atom has motion. Everything is in motion. Light is in motion. Light from the sun is in motion. It's alive. Life is moving through the air. Life is moving through the sunlight. And it's spinning every atom. This consciousness inside me, this life, through this human being can express emotion, express energy, can express anger, express love, gratitude. Each of those motions could, you could say have its own quality of consciousness. But also the ideas themselves are alive. The idea that ideas are alive. I just expressed it. And this idea is being transmitted, kind of like the seeds from the blossoms of the tree, and being spread. And if you accept that, go, okay, ideas are alive. That seed of an idea is planted in your mind. It may go very deep and grow roots. It may be like, well, okay, we'll see where this goes. Be very shallow. But it's now at play in your mind, an idea that is alive. Ideas of perfection. Ideas of what we want to be, should be. Ideas like, oh, I'm afraid of missing out. Those are ideas, and those are alive in our mind, and we feel the emotions that go with those ideas. Some have consciousness of fear and qualities, and some are a higher consciousness. Those are different qualities of the consciousness. You can kind of measure it by the emotion. The word I usually say because those ideas comes with a package of emotion. It could have a, a visual, it can have a backstory. So I mentioned the movie The Matrix. Do you have ideas come in your mind with that reference? You see Neo flying around? Agent Smith? I give one idea, but your mind says I have a whole catalog of associations. And they're asleep. They're asleep there doing nothing until you get something to awaken them, like mentioning the movie. And you're like, whoa, wow, I remember all that now. Experiences you had in your life. 
memories you have. Mom and dad fighting, being teased at school grounds, a breakup, a memory. The ideas you make are like, oh, he rejects me, nobody wants to me go out with me. Oh, I'm the best in the world, everybody loves me. Whatever ideas you have about yourself, when you have that idea internally and you fuse it with emotion, the anger you felt that day, the fear you felt that day, the guilt or shame you felt that day, the joy you felt that day, whoosh, you give that idea a lot of life. You make the seed go very deep. When you believe in it, you take this force of life, faith, a force of life, and you give it this plug-in. You plug this source of your own power of life into this idea and say, I give this life. I put my faith in it. And it can grow. Ideas that become powerful and grow. Martin Luther King, I have a dream. Civil rights movement was an idea. An idea so strong became alive in people's minds. And I say, I believe in this. This is equality. This is how people should treat one another. And that idea sunk in so deep with enough people, it pushed out the other discriminatory dream. So these ideas are alive, not just within us individually, but within people collectively. With these ideas, we give life to them and we move whole groups of people or we move ourselves, just ourselves. We have an idea, we want to be inspired, we want to start a business, we're like, I can do that. Yeah, we can see ourselves doing it. I'm going to do that. We believe in ourselves doing it. We believe in the outcome. We put faith that it will manifest. We take the action. We're now living that. This is the way our dreams that we give life to can be these beautiful vehicles of expression and change. And, and you start your own business, and your business is an idea, and people think of it like, oh, that's a great business, it's a good business. They share that idea and that idea of your business being so great, you do a great job. The idea, the quality, the branding, whatever, spreads. Ideas that are alive infect other minds or enrich other minds depending on the quality. Why some ideas we took in and others, whatever, doesn't matter. The truth is at this point, you're all at an age 
to be aware that what goes on in your mind is alive. Over the course of years, you've acquired many ideas, whether they're about you or about the world. Life is fair, life is unfair. Whatever the idea, at a certain point in our own awareness process, we realize they're alive in me. I have acquired a whole bunch of ideas, beliefs, that I have emotion, infused with faith, and I'm plugged into a thousand of them. And I've been feeding them little faith, keeping them alive for years. If you don't keep them alive, they can go kind of dormant, and you don't even think about them for years. And it's like they're asleep until somebody triggers something, and then it wakes up, and you're surprised that you still remember that. Maybe it has emotion, maybe it doesn't. Often if they are so dormant for so long, it's like they died because they, they have no emotion. It's just a flat memory. You could say that we've been dream catchers. You know those little shapes? We've been dream catchers. But we've been catching whatever's been blowing our way. Right now, I'm sharing a dream. You can like it, you can throw it away or not. But the idea of the dream includes a different identity for you, a different sense of empowerment for you. That you can give life to a dream or you can let it go. You can give life the story, the voices in your head are things you've given life to. That's why they're so pesky, they're still alive. Why it takes more than reading a book full of other ideas doesn't make the other dream stop. Oh, now I read that book, I know I shouldn't judge myself. You have an idea of how you shouldn't be as another idea. But it didn't change the first one. That one's still alive. Now you have two ideas in your mind that are alive. We've kept thousands of dreams going. And we can hear them speaking to us. These are our dreams. This is the, the collective body of your own personal dreams. That we've acquired in life without knowing we were doing it. We were dream catchers from the day we were born with no way to filter what we let in. Whatever dream you got, it was okay. Not injustice. It's not that it was fair or unfair. If you want to say that it was unfair, that's a dream that you're giving life to so you can feel injustice about it. It's another one you're adding on top of the dream you already got. The point now in life is, okay, you're a dream catcher, a creator. You have the power to give life to dreams. And oh, by the way, you could also let them go. Let the emotions go. Forgive the story. Forgive the belief. Let them go.
You have power of life and death over dreams that you dream. But with everything alive, each dream alive in your mind has a kind of self-awareness, self-preservation mechanism. It doesn't want to die, even if it's alive. None of those dreams want to die. And so when you consider, I need to let that go, I want to let that go, the first response of that part of your mind with that dream is to resist. Oh, it's always been here, it'll always be here. Oh, I tried before, I should just give up. It didn't work last time and it won't work this time. You see that that dream just isn't a dream. It's a dream with a self-preservation mechanism to try and talk you out of letting it go. Oh, it's too big, it's too strong. I need that identity. If I let go of this belief about I have to be on time, oh, I might be late. Fear of letting it go. I don't know what will happen if I let this belief go. You see away it boomerangs, and now you have to deal with the fear. The fear says, don't let me go. You need me. You need me or you'll be late and then you'll get in trouble. And it's trying to convince you. Those dreams that are alive because they have a consciousness, even a consciousness of a liar for its own self-preservation, will still try to convince you to let it stay alive in you. It will try to persuade you through fear, through you need me, this has worked so well for you, you don't need to do that. Oh, that Gary, he's kind of weird. Okay, he was good up until this point, but now he's getting a little weird. Whatever, the kind of resistance, distraction, fear, defense, need story that keeps you attached. Oh, no, I need that. Here's what it's saying. I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of dying. Don't let me die. That's the voice behind those arguments. And the fear you feel about letting something go, usually more likely, it's the fear of that idea sensing its own death. It's like, oh no, Gary's going to let me die. He's not going to feed me anymore. It feels fear, but you know what? We feel that dream. We're able to perceive what that dream feels since it's in us. Like a cramp in my leg. I'm not the cramp, but I can feel it in my body. Right? I'm not this idea, this conceptual idea of perfection, but I can feel its need to be there. It needs to be there. It needs me to believe it. It's afraid. And if I identify that that's me, I can go, well, I'm afraid and I need it. Do you see where it hypnotizes us into its point of view and makes it seem convincing? I'm pointing out the tricks of the characters in your mind to try and stay alive. 
Is it clear? That that fear you feel isn't even your own fear. It's the fear encapsulated in an idea that is sensing it might be uprooted and let go. When you let go of your core identities that you've acquired early on, I'm not good enough, I should be perfect, the core ones, those masks that we've held the closest so tightly, they can have a lot of fear. We've fed them for years. And they're so close to us, when they feel afraid, it feels like us being afraid. And our tendency is to do what, our, what they push our mind to do it's for, to survive, which is say, don't let me go. Don't challenge that. Ignore that. Or you have more, something more important to do. Check your phone. See if you got an email from such and such. Let's go shopping. I need to go work out. I just need to forget about this. This is too stressful. And that false identity goes, that idea of yourself, which is a false identity, goes, ah, saved again. And it feels relieved. And you know what you feel? It's relief. You think you did a good thing because you feel relief now. But it's not your relief. It's its relief. It's still attached to you. It's more comfortable, so you feel more comfortable. You don't have that tension of its death pulling at you. Where does it come from and why would our mind do that to us? Did you ever, well, I don't know about you, but did anybody ever believe in Santa Claus? The Tooth Fairy? Total lies. Total lies. But you see, We believed it. We had no filter for what's the truth and what's a lie. I'll tell you a story. So, I talked to a gentleman. And he had a lot of self-judgment. A lot of self-loathing. I mean a lot. And... was on the phone... And he had done his work. He'd written out the stories and written out which characters were saying what. And he had three big ones. He had a judge, just berated him. He wasn't doing enough. A victim that took all the punishment. And then he had an extra, he had a punisher, which he just really railed on him. Like it was like, the victim was his little Billy. And he said he could describe little Billy and how, what he was wearing his pajamas. And he was six years old or eight, eight years old. And... The punisher would just beat him. And that's what he felt inside. And the judge was pounding him out. He wasn't doing enough and he wasn't enough. And he had this other character called the commander was in charge of doing everything and getting everything done. And the commander was really efficient and was been successful in business. He'd been in banking and been in real estate. And he was financially independent. And so very accomplished. Advanced degrees. I said, let's have a conversation with this dream. 
this consciousness of the judge. Imagine that you, he was in his car because he's calling from his phone. And he said, imagine he's sitting in the seat next to you. Just take him out. Put him in the seat next to you. And we talked to the judge. I said, ask him these questions. How long you been doing this? Oh, for years, as long as I can remember. Why do you do it? Well, it's my job. It's my job to beat him up. The judge is saying it's my job to just punish him and get him motivated to do what he's really capable of doing. He really hasn't taken advantage of all he's capable of. He's been slacking. It's my job to motivate him. And so I began to take that conglomeration of dreams that he's been giving life to for 40 years. I began to ask a question, doubting questions. I said, is this really, has this motivation of him been effective? Has this really motivated him? And the judge was like, no. I said, do you like your job? Well, like, no, but it's my job. I'm like, well, do you like your job? He's like, well, no. Okay. I said, do you want to keep doing it? Are you happy doing it? And the judge was like, well, no. I said, and so it began to be like this consciousness had one job and it was to beat up little Billy until little Billy got the big job done and was great at everything. And that's what his job and that's all it knew how to do. And that was its consciousness. One mission, beat up Billy until he, he's motivated to do better. And it doesn't do or think anything else. It doesn't have a clue of intelligence about any other possibilities about being happy or another way to motivate. Nothing. But I began to plant a seed and it says, okay, do you think you can consider that there's better ways to be motivated? I'm like, I'm not sure, but I, I guess maybe there could be. Okay. All right. Well, and so it kind of got it to start to plant a seed within that dream, a dream within a dream. Inception. <laughs> I said, well, let's talk to the Punisher now. Can you sit him down in the seat next to you in the car? I was like, well, no. I was like, well, why is that? Because he's nine feet tall. <laughs> and he's like this cyclops thing, this robotic thing with big one big eye in the center, and he's not going to fit in the car. I'm like, well, this is detailed. He knows what this dream is that he's given life to. I was like, but he can stand outside the window, and I can talk to him outside the window. So I had another conversation through him with the Punisher dream. I was like, what are you doing? Oh, I got to beat him until he gets everything perfect. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Like, he's he's not done enough. He's failed. I said. What has he failed at? I don't know. Because you're punishing him but you, for failing, but you don't know what he's failed at. He said, yeah, but I know I need to punish him. Okay. I said, do you like your job? I'm like, well, it's my job. I'm like, do you like your job? I'm like, well, no. But it's my job. I said, do you like your job? I'm like, well, no. I finally got to soften up. Okay. But I said, well, He's failed at something. You're punishing him because he's failed at something and hoping he, he gets better at a success. I was like, what? What did he fail at? I said, well, I don't know. I said, who does? Well, I don't know. Okay. And so I asked the guy, I'm like, what'd you fail at? He's like, I don't know, but this is interesting. <laughs> he's like, I don't know. I said, well, what, what was the thing that was supposed to be a success? And he's like, well, I can answer that one. He says, well, I said, well, what was that? We saw when I was 10, I saw this movie, and it was about Alexander the Great. And I was going to be emperor in charge of a whole kingdom, be a big ruler. That would be a success. 
Okay. I said, well, let's ask the Punisher. Though, what would be success? He said, rule the world. And the guy's like, well, I didn't know that. I thought I was just supposed to be emperor, like, of a region. It's like, kids rule the whole... I asked the Punisher, like, the whole world? Like, the whole Earth? And the Punisher's like, yes, absolutely, that's what he's supposed to be doing. Like, holy smokes. And the guy's like, that seems a little crazy. But that's the unconscious belief that's come alive. Okay. So we go a little further and we talk to Bill or Billy or whatever, different characters. And I'm looking for, like, what did he fail at? What is he being punished for failing for? I asked him, like, when did you start punishing him? Oh, since he was 10. So what happened when he was 10? Then Bill, the guy, goes, Oh, I remember. I let that sit, because I knew whatever he was remembering was big. And he said, my brother was older. And it was a time of the Vietnam War. And he was 17 and he wanted to go off and join the Marines. But my mom was absolutely no. But his, when he turned 18, he said, I'm going to go anyways, join the Marines. So you can let me go now. My best friend Bruce is going to go with me. Or I'll go when I'm 18 without my best friend. And so his mom, when he was 17, signed the papers to let him go join the Marines. And he went to Vietnam. And he said she was afraid every day. He says, and when she got the letters, letters were always bad. But if the letters had the no stamp, it was free postage. It meant it was in a combat zone. Those were the really bad days. And she'd shake and she'd cry. And she, she had these dreams of him coming home and, would either be him standing there and Bruce in a casket getting off the train or it'd be Bruce standing there and him in a casket getting off the train and she'd wake up crying. I say, you remember that? I say, yeah. Did you try and make her happy? Yeah. Did you fail? Yeah. Is that your mission? Go make her happy? To rule and control things? So she didn't have to feel that? He failed at his mission. The idea of making his mom happy is a beautiful idea. But these ideas have offspring of their own. Another character says, oh, you tried to make her happy, but you didn't. You failed. Try harder. Oh, you failed. Try harder. You failed. Damn it. Take that punishment for being a failure and try harder. Take that punishment for being a failure and try harder. And so these ideas of punishing himself for being a failure so he could try harder, punish myself for being a failure so I can try harder, so I can be the ruler of the world and I can control everything and mom will be safe and happy. Really beautiful idea, a beautiful intent of a dream of a 10-year-old for his mother with lousy execution because these dreams are alive and they take on a life of their own so why 
because it's life. And life goes in a direction until it finds an obstacle and goes around it, until it finds something else and goes around it and tries to find a way. And this dream was alive and it was still trying to be accomplished. But it added these other dreams of punish himself so we try harder, so we work harder to accomplish it, his mission. Our characters are born out of experiences, how we've internalized them, how we've modeled other people, ideas that were shared with us, that we've embodied. We were shamed as a kid. We're around naked, felt great. Go get some clothes on. Probably. We learned shame in that, by accepting that dream. We learned to be embarrassed about our body. We learn to shame other people and shame's okay. Okay, and we cover it up and all those things. Put on a good image. These dreams came alive in us. A lot of them they had to, to learn to be in the world. We learn to function in the collective dream of the culture we're in. And so we need that input to socialize. But some of these get really carried away. When it's a nine-foot-tall Punisher and you're feeling like a 10-year-old child that's getting beaten in a corner, probably a bad, bad execution on a dream. Part of why I share is to lend an insight as to why some of this is a challenge, why some of these stories don't just go away so easily and how they can be layered into, God, this judge is saying one thing, but underneath, I've got this agreement that I made that it's all feeding off of, that I'm still believing in from when I was 10, even if I don't remember. The unconscious stores all that, and it's still running the loop of that, even if we cognitively don't remember. The emotional body is still doing the cycles. But what what helped this is to go in and you see this and just awareness he saw what was happening he saw what the agreement was based on and that was enough for it to break awareness was enough for it to break you could say the truth the truth shattered the lie. An avenue to the truth, to, a way to bring that truth to your lies is your presence, your love. That's why that hike, what are you feeling? Feel your own presence so that you have something to bring to those lies to help break them. You have a different kind of dream doesn't allow them to survive. Because when you see a lie, you stop believing it right away. When you become aware, well, that's ridiculous. A 10-year-old believing, trying to do that for his mom, nice intent, but that's ridiculous. We wouldn't expect a 10-year-old to go do that. He doesn't believe in that 10-year-old, the agreement that 10-year-old has anymore. He takes his faith out right then. I no longer have to live by that agreement. And the punisher's like, well, I guess I'm out of work. The judge is like, well, yeah, mostly out of work. 90% gone. He still has some other things to clean up, but that was his big agreement. Everything else in his life, everything else he was trying to do to be in charge, to be a CEO, 
to be a manager of a lot of people, to run a company, was all to be that emperor, to be that controller, to be that success and run the world. And all those failures where he didn't quite make it, he didn't quite make it, were all built up on that one card in that house of cards. All his repeating stories of I got to be a success, I got to control everything, I got to manage everything, and I'm failing, I'm not doing enough, I got to try harder, I'm not doing enough, I got to try harder. On all leveraged on the agreement of a 10-year-old mind. But when his priority was, I want to be happy, I want to be free of this self-loathing, this judgment, this self-hate, that's more important. If he wants to be a successful world, keep all that drive, keep beating himself up. But he didn't want that anymore. He wanted to be happy. He wanted to be at peace with himself. He wanted the internal beatings and self-loathing to stop. That was more important than this success strategy of accomplishment. So this brings me to the, your question that I gave you. What's your priority? What's your commitment? And if you want to pursue that, it's being happy. There are things that are going to die. There are dreams that are going to die. There's a sense of feeling, a fear of death that you may have to say, so what? That dream dies. And that's a ruthless quality of what we call a spiritual warrior. And we're not warriors in the way that we're at war with other humans. We're at war with lies. Ideas and illusions that aren't true. And when you know the truth, that those dreams are lies, the truth will set you free. What does it set you free from? Free from suffering and lies. So yeah, the characters become persuasive. They don't want to die. And they point out things where they were helpful. The ideas protected you from people walking on you, taking advantage of you. But here's another thing. They have fear. And they usually are about fear of getting hurt, fear of being taken advantage of. When we grow up, we have a lot of fears. We have a fear of crossing the street. We're given a good, healthy fear of crossing the street and of playing with matches. Our parents don't want us running down the street. They go, no! Okay, we learn that in our nervous system, okay. We think about chasing our ball across the street. Nope, no, okay, where's mom? Where's dad? All right, can we go get my ball? Okay, get permission to cross the street. That's ingrained in our nervous system. It's a helpful reminder. When we think about crossing the street, like, oh, no, mom's like, oh, no, don't cross the street. Okay? Don't play with matches. Until what do we learn? We learn about crossing the street. We learn about traffic and judging speed and timing of cars and how far it is across. And if there's a light and if there's not a light, is it okay to cross here? Like, there's funky rules for crossing the street. After a while, like, you can cross anywhere any time, given that it's enough light and you have time, right? And nobody teaches you like how fast a car is coming, but you learn to gauge time and speed after a while and how far it is and how fast I'm going to move. 
Or is anybody here afraid of crossing the street? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I am in Italy, in Rome. Oh my God! I got to the. I got. I got to the. The curb, and I watched the car zooming by, and I'm like, "Oh no, we were not getting anywhere in this town. Nobody was stopping." And then I watched two people. They just came up to the curb, and they stepped right off, and the car went stop. And the car stopped. Okay. And then we started to try it. Yeah, to get over a fear of crossing the street in Rome. But we digress. The point is, anybody here afraid of having matches? Okay. But most of us are over the fear of crossing the street and matches. Two big fears we learn. We outgrow fear because we have awareness and skills. And about being walked on, you can learn boundaries. You can learn to say no. There's other ways with love to say, no, thank you. I'm not doing that. So there's other ways to respect yourself that don't include being fearful or being angry or whatever is their mechanism. But here's the thing. You want people not to walk on you? Not to mistreat you? How do these characters treat you? Do they treat you with respect? They don't have boundaries and they don't have respect. So, if you want treat people to treat you well, then you say, I want them to treat me well too. You want to treat yourself better, you say, I'm not going to allow them to mistreat me. The very things that they're saying they're protecting you from might be some of the things that they're doing. So flip that around and say, well, are you doing that? What's my relationship with them? And that's the doubt that Rick's saying, Let's doubt them. Is that clear? They, they claim they're going to protect you from feeling that way by having you experience it virtually feeling that way. Like, no, I think you're making me feel that way. You're having me experience the very thing you're claiming to protect me from. This is now you're catching the liar. And now when you do that, you have more doubt. A little side note about the conversations with these characters when they try to persuade you you're talking to a liar okay you're talking to a liar and they are trying to direct you to specific things to convince you of something it might have some truth but it's probably also got mostly lie to it they'll try and point out the truthful part but sneak in the lies underneath They'll point out the one out of 10 instances that they did help. They'll ignore the nine out of 10 or how they made you suffer in the process. Oh, you did help, but you made me suffer it in my imagination the whole time. Okay. You made me fear it every day when it only, if it only happened once, it would have been easier than fear it every day. They're trying to get you to buy, accept it, which is give them faith. If you accept what they're saying, that dream's more alive in you and you give it more faith. They're up to something. You don't need to believe me, but don't believe them. This is Gary Van Wormerdam, the Awareness and Consciousness Podcast from PathwayToHappiness.com. 
if you have more interest in kind of exploring this process of looking internally and changing what isn't working inside, what's causing you angst and reaction or unhappiness, you can find a program on my website called the Self Mastery Program at pathwaytohappiness.com or in my book, MindWorks. Thank you and have a great day.